Uh, my name is John McGuire. Uh, Laszlo Nemes, the director of the film you've just seen, born in Budapest 40 odd years ago, uh, the son of a filmmaker named Andres Jelas. He moved to Paris as a 12 year old with his mother, where he went on to study for degrees in history and international relations and political science, and got involved in short filmmaking amongst his fellow students. At the age of 26, he moved back to Budapest and started making his own short films, where he met the cinematographer Matthias Ederly, who photographed the film you've just seen, and the sound designer Tamas Zanyi, whose sound design you've just heard and been immersed by. Uh, in 2006, he moved back to New York to study film directing at the Tisch School of the Arts, a place about which he does not have a good word. To say he dropped out after a couple of months joining fellow dropouts like Woody Allen and P.T. Anderson and uh, Steve McQueen. Then he went back to Hungary and worked for a while as the assistant director to Bela Tarr, mostly on The Man from London in 2007, before starting to make his own films and winning awards for shorts that he made, three of them I think, at international film festivals. And then in 2015 came his debut feature film, Son of Saul, a grave and ambitious descent into the hell of the Auschwitz concentration camp, which followed a man searching for his lost son. And for that, he won every award, I think. I can't think of an award that he didn't win for Son of Saul, an Oscar, a BAFTA, a Golden Globe, uh, and so on, uh, and so forth. And uh, he's just given a sunset a film that is just as ambitious and demanding as Son of Soul, but for different reasons, perhaps. So, ladies and gentlemen, he's here somewhere. Laszlo Nemes, there he is over there. <laughs> Sit down. Thank you. You're and very welcome to Dublin. I dropped this, so if they're looking for a cab, it's here. Uh, thanks for the introduction. You're welcome. Uh, welcome uh, to Dublin. We're delighted to have you here at the IFI. I'm delighted to be here. Uh, I'm going to say one thing first of all. I wanted to say one thing. You too. say one thing first. The French Academy didn't give us the award. Which did they not? <laughs> you didn't win a César? No. Fuckers. I'm very proud of it. Um, I wanted to say, sometimes when we come and do these kind of things, we sit down and we immediately analyze, tell us the mysteries of the film, explain everything to me. What's the hats about? What's this about? I don't want to particularly do that right now. I think we should allow, even if we only have 20 minutes or so, to let the film sit with us for a little while before we start to analyze it to death. Because I don't think that that serves the film okay. much at all. So we're going to talk around it a little bit. And maybe when we get to ask some questions from the audience, then we can get into a little bit more sir, about yes, our sir. interpretations of what you've seen. So, uh, we were talking outside and you explained to me that um, one of your inspirations for the film was Molly Bloom's soliloquy in Ulysses, which famously was written in Trieste, where Irish comes from in the first place. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, it's interesting. It was r written in Trieste. It also has, does it? No, don't worry no? about the microphone. But it's stylish. Oh, it does look good, okay. but it's not no, going to do anything. Are you sure it's not working? Can you make it work? 
It's oh, just that maybe I, we should I, flick my, a switch. Vo my no? voice, if if I can shout, but it, I get only when I get nervous. All right. So I, 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 I anyway, Molly Bloom. Please let me know if it works because I don't want to. Oh. oh yeah. 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 Vaguely. Yeah. Okay, I pretend it, it's working. Um, so yeah, it, I find it interesting. It's uh, uh, finished in, I guess, in June 1914, something like that. Uh, Ulysses. Yeah. 1904, I think it was, was it? I don't know. I don't know. It's a hundred years. I think it was ago. right before the First World War. No. Well, uh, I guess that the people, uh, more, more people are more knowledgeable than I am. But actually, yeah. before, for sure, before the First World War. And, and and Bloom is coming from Hungary. Of course. He's a Hungarian. Hungarian Jew. Yeah. And uh, and that empire was incredible because I think it's um it's an it it was a mixture of different populations and cultures in a very organic way, you know. The thing that they never could make happen in Europe after the war was already in a way there in an organic way before they destroyed everything. This Austro-Hungarian Empire. The Europeans themselves I think destroyed it and Austria-Hungary destroyed itself. I'm not saying it's a perfect empire, I'm just saying that it's interesting to mm. what extent there was an incredible uh, force of creativity and uh, and, 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 the, and the cultural, scientific uh, uh, hunger and and, and, and and push for something, you know, new things. The psychoanalysis was born between mm -hmm. Budapest and uh, Vienna. So all these things. And I guess uh, that's something that, that uh, when I read uh, Ulysses, I, uh, that the, the ending was something that, was, that I could really relate to in a very instinctive way, going into the labyrinth of one, one person's mind. Mm. I guess that and it's entirely subjective. Of entirely course. subjective and entirely, and you can you can, you, you. I mean, I've never read of uh, uh, I had never read of a text like that, and I guess uh, it 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 was a journey uh, uh, throughout. A, you know, the spirit of something that I was really I could I could feel connected to, even if it was in a way destroyed uh, by a hundred years of of. Uh, of conflict and 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 so so it's hard to put words on it, but I guess it it was there. And but it sparked uh, something. And it's also you. it's also a feminine voice, and not not to be in the the trendy, uh, the tre trendy thing of the feminine of course, cinema. Yeah. Your movement, just, yeah. I, I really was interested in how the feminine and the masculine were intertwined, and and how that you know you know in, in one human being they can coexist in a very interesting way and in a in a, in a sort of doppelganger you know tradition that's also in the movie without giving you the manual or yeah, yeah. or interpretation it's something that interested me so uh, one thing a word that pops up now and again when people talk about superhero cinema which is the dominant cinema for popular cinema for the last decade or so is world building you hear this phrase. In fact, for Marvel, it's, they're not content with having a world. They have to have a universe. So they have a cinematic universe. Uh -huh. And world building, mm -hmm. I think, in the, in, from a Marvel's point of view, probably means that uh, they can join everything together and uh -huh. make everything f connect. Mm -hmm. But from your cinema, it's about literally create... The sense I got when I watched the film is that we walk down a corridor 
or we walk down a street, and I get a sense of all the other corridors and all the other streets around me. I can, I can feel them. I can, they're palpable to me, which is part of your method. It was the same in Son, in Son of Saul, that the subjective camera and the way that you bring us into the story and immerse us in the story mm -hmm. creates an entire world, not just visually, but also hourly. We can hear it mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. And I want you to talk to me a little bit about that. Well, I guess, uh, and we built the hat store into the very fabric of the of the city uh, Budapest. Uh, we, we were looking for uh, an existing building, but we couldn't find because more or less everything was destroyed during the um, you know this hundred years, and and so we we found a vacant lot of you know within a, a zone of pre-existing buildings, and we built the head store into the middle of it. So in a way, you had you have the, the sense of reality. You have the sense of cinema, mm -hmm. obviously, but you, you you also have a sense of reality because you can go in and out of the hand store. You can uh, you you can be in the middle of city. That's something that in films is less natural because today we have uh, as a sort of grammar of of, of especially period films. It's it's you give the the postcard, what I call the sort of postcard kind of approach that you you're you're in in front of a, a history book and you're you know nicely looking at the, the pictures and you you also have the distance and the perspective and I think that that what really interested me is to to go take today's audiences without the possibility for perspective without the possibility of um, of taking the distance that's necessary. And say, okay, now you're in the middle of of space and time, and you live, you share space and time with the main character without the possibility of cutting away to to do an establishing shot, to uh, to give the perspective that's that's important for you to be in control and to be safe. On the contrary, what I wanted is not not to be safe and not to be safe, for the audience not to be safe. Mm. And and so the the kind of organic, fil subjective filmmaking that I was interested in was not only a journey uh, through through um, the the life and the city, and the life of uh, Iris at that time. It was also uh, uh, you know a way of 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 letting the the, the audience go the f you know let the film flow through them. Because they had to be part of it. If their imagination is not at work during the movie, then they they are just looking at objective imagery, mm -hmm. and that's when Marvel comes in. Yeah, it's exactly. objective imagery. It's also self-referencing in a way. It's not it's not the the experience that's important. It's the idea of an experience, and you think that you you in itself it's not interesting because nothing goes through the through the mind of the audience that's personal. Everything is very objectively planned. And, and so it's, it's, I think it's very contrary to the essence of cinema that has to go through the audience. If it's not uh, personal, it's not, if it's not subjective, it's, it's not meaningful. Not meaningful, exactly. The but that, for that you have to have a, some kind of off-screen, which is also at the, base, you know, the basis of cinema, I guess. Uh, for me, also some kind of autofocus, which is also something that I'm interested in, 
you know, you cannot, you know, you have layers of existence around the main character in vision and in sound. And her journey isn't cut and dried. It's in, in fact, it's incredibly confusing at points. And some of that is quite deliberate in, in terms of your story, but also in terms of the geography of the world that you've created. It, we lose our bearings at times, as, as she does. And we... Yeah. The, it, that's a brave thing to do, uh, to deliberately confuse the audience. Most filmmakers would try to do the opposite of that, or almost instinctively, try to make things as clear as possible. I, I know I'm, I'm, I'm fighting an uphill battle there, but uh, the thing is that uh, we, we have to, as, as filmmakers, I guess, we have to, um, to make it personal and, and to take the audience imagination as a central element in the, the strategy of, 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 of making a film. You have to you have to let the, the you know some kinds of secret be alive and not uh, and not uh, reveal everything because that's that's not that's not really interesting. Hmm. And, and I knew that I wanted to make a film about someone who is trying to uh, you know open all the doors and open the layers and try to understand the world around her and hmm. try to understand herself in the process. And the more she does it, the more she encounters new layers, and it's a sort of infinite, uh, you know, series of obstacles, uh, which is uh, which which is in the very um, uh, geography or very very structure of the movie, this kind of labyrinthic approach. It's a maze. Yeah. yeah, it's a maze. It's a, it's a, it's a labyrinthic. Uh, experience and and it's in the directing and it's in the story, the plot, and and obviously that that asks from the audience to to uh, let go of some of the control that's very that's been extremely well established by thirty years of filmmaking that's that's the, that that's been dominated by television. To televised uh, logics, mm. meaning um, the you have to at all points you have to be in control of what you're looking as, a, as, a, as and an have audience. it explained to you over and over it, exactly what's happened and it's very what's safe. A, what's happening now and what's about to happen and it's very anti-cinematic. Obviously, it's dangerous what I'm doing, and I'm not I'm not saying that I cannot fail in the process, but yeah. it's definitely part of the game. And if it if I'm not trying to push it to the edge and uh, then, then I'm not ma doing my job because otherwise it becomes, you know. I, my my hope is that you know, in two, even if the audience members cannot have an immediate satisfaction, something mm -hmm. that is more and more the norm. Mm -hmm. If they cannot have the immediate satisfaction, then then it's something different. What is different is that maybe in two weeks they will wake up and something will have changed, mm -hmm. and and that's that's a sort of um, you know, it has to go deeper, and it's 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 the contrary of immediate satisfaction. Mm -hmm. So that's why it's also something that's questionable. The know? Mark Frost, the David Lynch's collaborator on mm -hmm. Twin Peaks, I know you're a Twin Peaks fan, said that uh, mystery. Why did I say that? I, yeah, mystery is necessary for self-discovery. That's his. Uh -huh. That's his. How would Lubish do it? Okay. That's Mark Frost's kind of uh, 
slogan, mm -hmm. his motto in, mm -hmm. in writing is uh, that mystery is essential to self-discovery. And I think that's something that you're playing with here as well. Well, well that also com comes back to a digital thing. It's uh, the CGI and the use of CGI, computer-generated imagery in cinema, is that the, over the, the 10, you know, 10, 15 years, maybe 20, but mainly 10 years, it's been extremely aggressive in 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 uh, the computer generated imagery has been more and more at the center of storytelling and that creates maybe a short term satisfaction mm -hmm. and you know you have establishing shots that you know that are satisfactory although i would argue that they look bad but then uh, obviously they give you everything as an audience member nothing is that you know there's nothing at stake. Nothing at stake. If uh, if that's available to us, you know, when you see Star Wars '77, the pro, you know, all the effort that was put into the matte painting and the and the uh, miniatures, yeah, yeah. and 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 it's very physical. So all this knowledge and craft going into the the effort of making the audience believe something, but still cannot create an entire spectrum of visual experience mm -hmm. because they couldn't do it they had limits they had limits yeah. if there are no and that's why it's more you can identify yourself more with that kind of experience because it because, feels real because because it feels your, palpable ima and tactile, your imagination yeah. has to take over and it's it's not limited by uh, by the fact that every everything is shown yeah, uh, yeah. and told you and, and i think it's very, it's really at the center of today's crisis in a way of imagery because the more we can achieve, the more we will achieve, and the, the less we want to, the audience to, to create. So your solution to the crisis is to very deliberately control the amount of visual and audio information that you give the audience at any one well, time. Well, that's the secret, you know. And, and, and in this film, the, the very center of the, of, the, of the film, the heart of the film, is the secret of Iris herself, mm -hmm. you know. Who is she? Where does she come from? And, 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 and What's also she looking for? That, What's she motivated by? And it's also the, the question of how, to what extent she's aware of, of herself and what, how, how can we know her? I mean, how can we... Um, is, is she problematic? Is it, is it only that... Is that that young innocent girl, or is there something more sinister? Yeah, I, got, I, I didn't think she was a good person at all, really. Yeah, I, but it I, doesn't. Yeah, okay, but it doesn't. It's not. I don't. I try not to simplify it to the good yeah, person yeah. or and bad, bad person. person. Yeah, but I know you don't. She is in a in a gray zone in a way, and that's that's something that interested me. You know, yeah, of course. to what extent she can be ominous. Uh, so, what about the hats, Laszlo? What's going on with the hats? Enough yeah, about there's a hat enough about subjectivity. Um, I think hats are, um, you know, say a lot about the uh, given period uh, of this one, that period, the uh, the illusion of a world. Uh, you know, there was a there were hundred hat stores in Budapest alone for women at the turn of the century. That's the sort of the the sign of a civilization that's very refined, sophisticated, and 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 full of illusion, as I, I guess. You know, so much attention given to personal details, and you know the little birds that you, they put on the hats—not necessarily alive, obviously—but you know little things, and always a little different. <coughs> there was room for personality, and then 
I don't know. It 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 became very in you know it's an instinctive thing. I wanted uh, this film to take place in a in a hat store because of of this potential for illusion and uh, and, and you know it reverberated or or reflected sunshine of 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 an era that this was full of promise and yet and yet it still went into the darkness mm. in, in a way that really fascinated me. So I guess it's linked to... It's the key sense I got from watching the film is that we are trembling on the edge of disaster. Mm -hmm. That historically we can contextualize it and say in a decade or so the First World War is going to start, a guy is going to shoot an archduke in a car and the whole thing is going to kick off and all of this is going to be destroyed. Now, mm -hmm. Maybe not immediately but their way of life is going to end. Mm -hmm. And I want you to talk a little bit about that very difficult sensation to maintain. It's, not, it's easy enough, to, per se, to create uncertainty in the moment. It's much more difficult and much, a much greater achievement to carry that for an hour, two hours and 20 minutes. That sense that we're on the cusp and on the edge of a grand disaster, of a, a cataclysm. Mm -hmm. That's what I took from the from watching the film. Is Certainly, I, I I was I I've always been fascinated by by moments in civilization that are you know un, 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 uncertain yet they carry already. Specifically here, when there was so much promise, and yet you you we could we can feel maybe in retrospect, but I think that it was there at the moment that. In the hearts of the people, the very you know the desire for their own self-destruction was was uh, I guess real, and and to what extent the promise is linked to already to the to the suicide mm -hmm. of that civilization. It's something that I guess uh, growing up as a kid, I looked back and uh, I tried to understand history and how it can be history not as in the history books but in the hearts of people. And that's history when it's invisible, mm -hmm. you know. The unwritten stuff, the stuff that nobody wrote down. But yeah, but in, 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 in even deeper, in the, the really in the in the heart of, of the of the people, how you know history in the in the in the trenches, it's already too late. You know, it's it's it becomes factual. But mm -hmm. what is what is be before that? What's the moment before that? Yeah, the so bee, the bee of the bang, I think they call it, isn't it? The what? The bee of the bang. Yeah, just that, the, just that, the right at the start of it. I think uh, there were uh, years before that that were full of uncertainty in the, in their minds, even if they they felt that it's it it had so much promise. Now we're going to talk a little bit about one of your fil favorite filmmakers, Stanley Kubrick. Who, before we get to that, actually, we're going to call, recall the last scene of the film, yeah. which is a homage to Paths of Glory. And it brings us to where we think Irish ended up. Julie uh, Jacob, your lead, is one of the very few females, few women, the few female faces that we see in Son of Soul. Mm -hmm. And there's the last shot that you have of the film with her rather enigmatic expression recalls when we meet her in Son of Soul. We recognize her. Yeah. And it might be her daughter or her granddaughter, mm. but that's where 
what she's looking at, that's where they're going. That's where they're going to end up. Yeah, it interested me to what extent, uh, you know, the face in, uh, in retrospect, it's not something that I had planned. It's in retrospect interesting that uh, the face coming out of the barracks, the women barracks in uh, the concentration camp is the same as, the same uh, as this, this young woman's face full of promise. Again. Mm -hmm. and, and it seems that they cannot be reconciled, yet they are the, the same human being or at least... A daughter or a, or a well, granddaughter, yeah. It's interesting. How can you... I think the whole 20th century is in, in, in that impossibility to, to reconcile those two Im images that yeah. are the same. And, um, and yeah, that's, uh, I mean, well, yeah, what can I say about Kubrick? I, I, I've been very much, you know, been influenced, I guess, by, by his work. Uh, and, uh, and it's, it's very deeply in, in, in my approach. It doesn't mean that it's, uh, def I'm making films that are as good as his, but mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's definitely one of my major influences. And it's interesting because those, you know, his family was from the Austrian-Hungarian Empire, and mm -hmm. I guess he also carried in his work a sort of uncertainty of, of um, uh, you know, of, 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 the, of, of the region. I'm going to read a little bit that when I was watching the film at home, I, 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 from an audience point of view, I, I'd say apart from the precision that you have and the meticulous production that you put together, the things your films have in common with Kubrick are how they exist partly in the imagination of the audience. Uh, we're given enough information to spark something in our minds and that taps into something beyond the intellectual, beyond the process of sitting and watching the film and becomes something more psychological and more personal. And that's what you might not be aware of your own influences, but that's what we take from watching the films. Okay. Uh, I that's should the write it on my come. grave or something. Yeah, maybe I'll give you a business card. Um, but, but that, uh, that um, homage to Paths of Glory, that's not accidental. I mean, that's no. a very complicated scene. And it looks you expensive. You mean the last one? The, your last scene, yeah. Yeah, we shot it on 65 to, uh, my cinematographer wanted to, um, to enhance the, the, the idea of that we are opening up to, some, to a new reality. Uh -huh. And uh, it looks different, although I have to say that 65 had to be downgraded through computers. And uh, that's the only f scene, I guess, that went through a computer. Oh, really? Yeah, because uh, how, much how much digital imagery is in the film, apart from that? Virtually we, nothing. We enhance one real fire, but apart from that, everything is from the original negative. And I, I think that's also something that the, the texture of the film gets washed out with the, when it goes through yeah, of course the computer. It does, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. and I, I think that's... that's it looks shiny. It, it looks shiny and it looks clean. And and it looks and like... Uh, yeah. yeah, so I don't like that. Yeah. And, uh, but it's a long conversation. We won't have it today. But uh, I... Um, uh, yeah, so, so I guess, uh, in a uh, again, in a very instinctive way, I wanted to to have this very slow uh, tracking shot as if it was almost a POV of someone who, like a floating uh, spirit. Mm -hmm. 
And, and, and when we were making the movie, before that, we, we came across some interesting imagery from the you know, 1916 uh, trenches in, on the Western Front, I think, and a lot of little dots, soldiers, and above the, the trenches floating was the colossus of a female figure. And uh, I thought also there was some kind of desire there, you know, the, the, um, the desire and the, the, of, of something sinister mm. in, in the civilization was very well embodied in that imagery. And, and I guess that was also behind that. And are we, are we in a period of the same kind of sinister? Are we entering into another darkness, do you think? I mean, there's a sense of apocalypse Today. now, yeah. Apocalypse it's, now? No, uh, yeah. the, that's uh, not an influence, I don't think. Uh, uh, I like but it. In your, in that, like what I was saying earlier on about that being on the edge of the precipice of something really bad a uh, hundred odd years ago. Are we on that same kind of I think we're, now, think? I mean, from a historian point of view, if you're interested in my, my no, position, go ahead, would, <laughs> would be that we're still, still in the same cyclics, cyclically. I mean, in a cyclical sense, it's we're still in the same period uh, as uh, first, uh, first and Second World War. We're living on the ruins of a civilization that we, we were about to build mm. and then fortunately destroyed mm -hmm. it in the most disgusting way. Well, I think I'd agree with you. And you live in London now and have done for the last six months. Yes. And from the conversations around Brexit, for instance, uh, a, lot of their, a lot of their motivation seems to harken back to the Second World War. I mean, they haven't escaped it. And a lot of their imagery and a lot of the things that they talk about, the blitz spirit and all that kind of thing, seems to harken back to something that happened 60 years ago, before the foundation of the European Union. For instance, yeah. Anyway, that's enough political theory for me. No, this, the Austrian-Hungarian Empire did have this sense of European Union that uh, that was organic. Mm. So then it's hard to make it happen from ethnically clean, you know, uh, nation states for after for Second World War, from you know from the political sense, uh, uh, from the top. Uh, it's really hard. So on a superficial level, there's a, there are some similarities between uh, Son of Soul and Sunset. The first being that it's a subjective progress through a story and that both characters are looking for somebody close to them, yes. a relative. Uh, on a, another level, on really on a, a technical level, one that we wouldn't be aware of, you have the same cine cinematographer, the same composer, the same sound design, production design. Production design is gorgeous. Uh, and the same casting people. I mean, you've created a team uh, that you carried on to your yeah. second film. And I want you to talk a little bit about that kind of team and that kind of collaboration that you put together. Well, it's a long conversation. I, I don't think we have entirely the time for that, but I, 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 uh, I really believe in uh, exchange. And uh, although I also believe that filmmaking is based on hierarchy. Uh, I really enjoy the, the collaboration, the, uh, the, the, uh, the fact that I want these, pe I want these people to challenge me uh, all the time. And uh, for example, casting, I really also want to, um, to start casting as soon as possible because the uh, casting process also informs the writing process. Mm -hmm. We use scenes, sometimes pseudo scenes uh, of the screenplay or transform scenes 
um, but sometimes they reflect very well our intention. But the the casting process, the, the casting process shows us sometimes that the scenes are not working, mm -hmm. and um, and we have to change that. So, but but concretely, I have to say that uh, I want people to tell them tell me what 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 they what they think uh, about you know everything in the movie so the cinematographer is is involved very early on although i i really hesitate more and more to involve him because he's been uh, you know difficult to deal with because he's constantly challenging me and it's but you really worked hard. together since the very early days you no know, no it's it's i think it's painful but very useful at the same time uh, but that's I, the nature of collaboration, isn't it? Yeah, but it's something that I really dislike. But uh, I have to say that uh, <laughs> it's useful, and 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 I don't, I don't, you know, it's really hard because sometimes you think, oh, if you, you you're unsure of something, then it 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 creates a, a float a floating impression, and and then people start um, disrespecting you also on the shoot, and it's true. Mm -hmm. But then I come back with vengeance, and no, I'm I'm kidding. No, <laughs> the thing is, the I, I really try to. Uh, it's really hard because you have to be sure and unsure at the same time. Yeah. If you're open, too open sure, and open and certain. If you're too sure about something, then you don't take uh, take in what what people say. But sometimes, ultimately, you have to say, you know, it's it's my it's my decision. So. So it's a really it's a really fine line to walk, and I'm still learning how to how to make it happen in an okay. effective way. It's 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 always this dance at the edge of the of the cliff, and and the cinematographer is definitely always there to uh, to push me push you a bit further <laughs> towards the abyss, and um, and and the uh, the sound designer has been also very key in in. Uh, in creating this very complicated uh, sound uh, scape, which I have to say is not only, uh, you know, sometimes it creates confusion in people because it's not mixed in the traditional in, in way, traditional yeah. manner, yeah, yeah. and that I'm sure you you experienced it. It's not the focus that objective imagery. Um, in the so-called usual filmmaking, narrative filmmaking, this kind of focus is reinforced in, by sound. You see what, you know, it's like, you see, you see where the action is, you want the audience to be always sure about their position to it and their understanding of it. The sound comes to reinforce that effect and to double the effect of the image. And what we want with this sound, on the contrary, is to open up new perspectives of, um, of a mental perspective, um, if it's possible not to, you know, really create new, open new doors. And, and it's something that uh, also by, by using the entire spectrum of the dynamic range of sound, you know, sometimes you hear low sound, sometimes it's really loud. Mm -hmm. And, and the whole range of frequencies, that's not for use because now you, in, in, in cinemas you have the so-called sound war and, and, and people, people end up having a very, you know, very uh, little, small um, 
range of of sound mm -hmm. because they they know that people are used to that and they're um, so everything is more confused but but in a way uh, uh, more understandable if if it's understandable what I'm saying uh, the sound is simplified but at the same time it uses the very small range and we're trying to do things differently we're really trying to to open up uh, because in the mind of the viewer we think that sound can create uh, uh, pictures pictures but more than pictures I think they, it's it's it, really about the senses you know being be, uh, feeling that we are in a, in a given situation mm. in the, that immersion that we were in talking immersion about and, and you and with this music you know sometimes the source music we use a lot of source music and that that's not def defined as source mm -hmm. but then it becomes you you understand its source sometimes you feel that it's it's a mental music but then it becomes Physi uh, exegic, uh, I think yeah. they call it music. Uh, yeah. Where it's happening, it happens in the scene. Yeah. 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 Uh, uh, yeah. So. Okay. Um, speaking of mental music, yeah. we are going to ask uh, the audience if they have any questions, and if you just want to put your hand up. It's not obligatory. And this gentleman in the corner. Now, do you want to speak out loud, or do you want the microphone? No, I'll, I'll speak out loud. Um, I really enjoyed the film. Thank you very much, and um, I love Son of Saul also. Um, so. Great to be here in the room with you. Um, just wanted to add, you mentioned about the it being a personal process and naturally, but I wonder like, thematically in your films that I've seen, um, there's this Hungarian theme coming through. And I guess I wonder as part of your filmmaking and what you do as a, as a filmmaker about exploring what it is to be Hungarian, and is that your personal kind of um, quest in a sense? I really hope that I'm trying to explore human, the human soul rather than the Hungarian soul. If there's anything like that, Hungarian soul, I don't know. But I definitely, I, I think the my my relationship to the region is strong. I have to, you know, uh, I like Franz Kafka, for example. Definitely creates uh, situations in which the main character is facing an obstacle. Obstacles that cannot be overcome. Uh, that, that you don't always have the key to the solution. You know, there's always, you know, the key. you never get to the castle in a way. There's always this castle, but you never get there. And I, I think that's pretty much a little bit about, I think, existence in Central Europe. But I would say that says something about human soul as well. Uh, and desire, and all the projections, and uh, and I'm definitely interested in that. In a, in a maybe having a tradition of Central European, some kind of culture, but at the same time going beyond that, and and hopefully being able to talk to uh, human nature or about human nature, then. Um, 
not make it specific at the end. Uh, but then, uh, obviously, I'd like to, I might make a film in English, so, uh, in the future, and so I'm open to um, all kinds of, you know, new, uh, new experiences. Obviously, there's always a question to what extent can you, can you as a filmmaker, be, you know, make movies about, about another country. No, we talked about Kubrick, you know, mm -hmm. to what extent was he... Well, he made his... Uh, some of them were set in England, but some of them were set in the U.S., even though he made them in England. I mean, yes. he couldn't quite... Yes, The Clockwork Orange is... is, is He's set. English, uh, yeah, but yeah. Uh, some of his other films aren't. Yeah, so yeah. What, to what extent... But it's, sometimes it's good to be... Um, to be from, you know... To from an outsider. Yeah, yeah an, outside, an, outside an outsider's yeah. point of view, I guess. And I, I've always seen myself... Not to be to make a um, a hero out of myself, but I've always seen myself as sort of um, a foreigner in my own land, you know. And I my my life has been sort of always moving around, moving around. So Going I guess back. that's that's also a source of energy that I can, you know, that 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 was in my that's been in my life, and so that's that, that creates some I guess some predisposition. Thank you for Thanks. the question. Great question. Next. Anybody else? At the back. Hi. Yeah, so you're saying about maybe your next film might be in English. Sometimes with multilingual filmmakers, you can kind of see that nuances about the writing changes from language to language. So do you think writing in English next might be different to how you approach storytelling in your native language? Well, yeah, that's a good question. I, um, we always, always, well, I have weird French co-writers, and uh, I grew up in Paris. We talk in French. We we made films in hu Hungary, and we actually write in English, which is the weird. You write in English, too. Yeah. Okay. We all we wrote *Son of Soul* in English. Did you? And then we had people retranslate it. Yeah, yeah. Just because the Hungarian, I, I, it's a very specific language, and and I don't. I will, when I left Hungary, I was twelve. I, uh, sometimes it's hard to. You don't have the fluency. You don't feel you have the I, writer's I do, fluency. But I, but the, I mean, I'm too demanding of myself. Uh, I guess in terms of, uh, just that English was. A even a if lingua you cannot franca, hear a it, uh, you, uh, in a way, my my written English is better than my written, you know, my other other languages in a way because it's just that that's the way I was interested in the English language. From very early on, but it actually uh, what you uh, what you're asking is to what extent the language has an impact on, on the film, and it's a very interesting one. And I, for example, I, I would never. I, that's a problem. I, I would never make a movie that's not organic, you know, the, in which the language is not organically linked to the subject. Mm. For example, I was, you know, I talked to producers, and they offered me, I don't know, a project about. Uh, in in Russia in, at the beginning of the, of the the 20th century and and it was to be in English and I said why would I first of all why would I make a film in in, in Russia which I which is very interesting but it's it's so specific again it's mm -hmm. very hard I wouldn't say no because it interests me but in English really it just not it doesn't feel organic mm. so uh, it has to be but it's a very European thing to do if you look at somebody right. like Murnau, who, who's an influence. 
yeah. whose sunrise yeah. was a massive influence, I think, on yes. sunset. Yes. He left yes. Germany and yes. went to the States and worked. And yeah, the more I mean, there was but a, he all of those emigrants in si the silent. Uh, yeah, but uh, all of the people that followed him yes. and that mass emigration from yes. Germany and yes. from yes. Central Austria Europe and from Hungary uh, to the States—they all made yes. films in English. Yes, and they brought, wider, they brought their, wider, they brought example. that syntax and that grammar with them. Yes, I think you, they, they brought these guys for it, but Hollywood was different at that moment. Hollywood was different, yeah. and these guys brought the very specific um, approach or tradition of, for example, Eastern Europe. You know, Lubitsch uh -huh, or Lubitsch. Billy Wilder uh, having this very, you know, central Austrian, Hungarian, Jewish, uh, that thing. sensibility. And, yeah. And, and that's, that's something that's really in the movies that they made. And sometimes, you know, a lot of people who had to leave, you know, you can feel, you can read the credits and you can see Hungarians, you know, Austrians, all kinds of people. And that created sort of international uh, thing in the, in, the, in the American system. Would you think you'd be allowed to do that today? If you were to say, I'm going to make a film in English in London with UK producers, do you think they'll want you to bring... But not in Hungarian. Not in Hungarian. Probably not, no. but I wouldn't. But in English, yes, it's not a problem. I, I don't think so. Do we have another question? No? Everybody's dead. No. <laughs> It's a very Hungarian thing to say. But it's also always better to leave when you're... Winning. When you're on the up. Yeah. Yeah, I, I had more questions. But, but you're here now. They're, they're annihilated. Oh, that's it? <laughs> All right. We were talking earlier on uh, a little bit about uh, a thing that I feel sometimes, that cinema has the potential. And when it's done very well, it actually works as a time machine. Yeah. And we were talking a little bit about this. And I get that sense from this film and from other films as well. And from, I got it very much from Son of Soul that we are dropped into a place that doesn't exist anymore. Thank God it doesn't exist anymore. And uh, this is the closest thing that we're going to ever get to a time machine. And do you have that sense? That's Kubrick said that. No. Was it Kubrick said that? Yeah. Maybe that's where I stole it from. Yeah. But uh, what's, your, what's your take on it? Yes, if 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 the audience can take a, you know take a part in it, and 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 that's um, that's something that really interests me. Uh, how do you keep cinema alive? That's not only about the topic. It's not only about the politics of the time of a given you know journalism as a you know, cinema as a as a way of doing journalism, but really. To, to use the audience as, as a door and uh, to, to, new, to a new thing that they that, that, that's something that interests me and, and, and I'm not being pessimistic of, of course I am but I'm, not, I'm trying not to be too pessimistic but it's, it's really hard to, to counter the influence of television uh, and the internet yeah. and the way people look, watch films, that's something that's very problematic because they were using the audience to, we're pushing them to, to having um, certain attitudes that are actually closing uh, the possibility of, of, of having meaningful experiences. And I think it's, it's more coming from the industry because mm -hmm. they're second guessing the audience. Mm -hmm. 
and they want they don't want to disturb them while they're, while they're eating popcorn, and or uh, sitting in their pajamas on the couch, which is what I do. And I, that's why I, 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 you do that. But the thing is that if that's why I'm, I'm, it's obviously completely an uphill battle and it doesn't make any sense, obviously. But I really believe that, you know, as I tell to distributors that, that it's, cinema cannot defend itself on the same ground as it's television. It's not a fair fight. No, it's not That's fair. why they should bring back 35. They will never, obviously, but they, they should bring back film because bring, film brings a new, you know, an added value. Yeah. Something that's visceral. That's something that you can feel it when you're watching it. It's also but also it's unique to the. But it's also a hypnotic the, thing because you're in the, in darkness half of the time, you know, and you 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 have, there's there's possibility for projection of yeah. your mental projection. But they don't do it, obviously. But but this is a, a, a losing game for for cinema because if because there's if you it's only television in public. As your friend Quentin Tarantino you, you yeah, used yeah. to say, then yeah. then there's no way of defending cinema because because the more it will look like television, it look it or it does look like television, and there's a standardization process behind that you can see in uh, in the way films are made, aspect ratio, multiplication of angles, uh, story you know storytelling principles, mm -hmm. very safe. And uh, and postcard period films. So that's that's a narrowing of all the all the possibilities of cinema. That so exists. how does cinema how does cinema fight back then? But first of all, by shooting on thirty five and showing them in a room like this to people like this, yeah. What can I say? I have there's no not much reason to to be optimistic. But I still you know a lot of people come. We'll be and optimistic I really tonight that. anyway. Yeah. And I, I want to thank them for coming and listening to me, and and it's uh, it really means a lot. Uh, I'll join them. I'll join Laszlo in yeah. saying thank you very much. Thank and you. Uh, we'll see you again. We'll see you next time. Thanks so much, guys. Thank you. Bye -bye. Thank you. Thank you.